Good morning. Sorry to break into conversation. Um, welcome to Kirkpatrick Memorial this morning to those of us who are in the church building here and those who are joining us from their homes. My name is Nicola and I'm a member here at Kirkpatrick. Graham, our minister, will be opening God's word to us later on as we continue in our series on John's Gospel. This year, in my own studies at home, I'm reading through the Bible in chronological order. In January, I obviously started Genesis 1, but very quickly, I was kind of surprised it got broken up by the story of Job just after Genesis 11. I know it's not really the best book to have to start reading on January 4th. But I was struck by the part where God asks of Job questions that clearly only God has done or can do. Have you entered the storehouses of snow? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Reading Job straight after I'd read the account of creation and of the flood, it was clear just how little we can fathom of God's greatness, his power, and his glory. And so our call to worship this morning is taken from Psalm 8, and it reminds us of his majesty. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And our opening hymn this morning will let us declare glory to God for those things that he has done for us. So we're going to stand and sing the hymn, To God Be the Glory. Let us pray together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence today to praise and worship you. Lord, it is your will and command that we set aside this day to serve and praise you. Help us today to seek rest from the busyness of our everyday and to bring you glory in our worship here. We declare your power and glory, and we praise you for all the things you have done in the wonder of creation in the love you showed in creating us in your image, and most of all for the gift of Jesus becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us here on earth, allowing us to be restored to relationship with you in his death and resurrection. We thank you for the lengthening days of February, the promise that spring is coming as we start to see signs of new life around us. Help us notice the changing seasons and to praise you as we remember that it all happens at your command. Lord, we're sorry for the times this week we've failed to love others well. We've failed to do the work of our hands diligently, and we've failed to bring you glory in the things we have done. Father, will you, by your Spirit, enable us to be people of light, those who live by truth and grace? At this point in our prayers, we also want to lift up our children in P7. Thank you, God, for the stage of life that they are at and the excitement and the thoughts about moving to a new school this autumn. 
we pray that no matter whether they did the selection exams or not, and no matter their results, that they would know their worth is not in that. We pray that they would know the most important thing in life is having a life set on you, and that they would value the things you do. And we pray for our P7s and for all our children, that in all they do, they would give glory to you in their creative pursuits, sporting successes, and in their academic work. God, we ask you to be here with us this morning, and we ask that through your Holy Spirit, you will be at the work in our hearts, able to work in our hearts, and make us ready to listen and learn from your word later on in the service. Amen. Um, I'm going to invite Mark Welsh to come up in a moment to lead us in our Connecting Church slot for this morning's service, but before he comes up, we're going to watch a video which will come up on the screen here. I have come that you might have life, and life in all of its abundant, overflowing, thriving fullness. Not my words, you'll understand that would be a little bit arrogant to stand here on a Sunday morning and and declare that. But they're words that Paul pointed us to last week from John's Gospel, words of Jesus. That was last week. Let me give spoiler alert. This week and next week. We're going to hear how Jesus, through ordinary conversations with ordinary people, points to himself being that very source of of life. Later on in John's Gospel, in in John chapter 20, Jesus says to his disciples, just before he, he returns to heaven, he said, this work that I've been doing, pointing to myself as the source of life, I'm now passing that mantle to you as as my disciples. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And, And just as that was relevant and important for those first disciples, so it is equally important for us as Christ's disciples today. We are to do, as Jesus did, to point people to him as the source of life, the one who gives this abundant, thriving life. And and that's where a passion for life comes in. A passion for life is not an event. Let me make that clear at at the very start. A passion for life is, first of all, an encouragement. It's an encouragement for all of us, no matter how good, or probably for many of us, how bad we are at sharing the good news of Jesus with, with others. It's an encouragement to grow in that passion and to grow in our ability to be, to be able to share that with, that with others. So it's an encouragement, but it's also an initiative. It's an initiative, as you'll have seen from the screen, of churches right across the UK and Ireland. And so as part of this initiative, as part of this campaign, the the Passion for Life group will be running a, a media campaign, billboards, social media, and so on, that will allow people 
seeing the, uh, the, the, uh, the advertisements to go, actually, that's, that's something I want to know more about and to connect with churches in their locality that are part of this Passion for Life initiative. And, and Kirkpatrick will be one and is one of those churches. And a small group of us have been working uh, uh, with Passion for Life actually for quite a number of months now, but we're now at the stage where we want to bring this to you as a congregation to hopefully excite you and encourage you to have this passion for life. The church has signed up, but that's not just the session. It's not just the small group of us who have been working on behalf of the session, but the church is every single part of the body. It's every single person here, every single person watching at home. And there are three things that we want to encourage you to begin to be, to be thinking about over these next few months in the run-up to Easter, which is the main focal point of, of this particular initiative. And the first of those if we can have the next slide up, please, is to think about reaching out. Who might you be able to reach out to? In work, in your family, in the community around us, to share this life-giving news of, of Jesus. That's where we're aiming for. That's the, the third point, but that's, the, that's the, the target for the moment. But between now and then, there's the first two points that are critical in laying those foundations. We want you to be praying. Praying that people will already have the Holy Spirit beginning to, to work in their hearts and their minds, helping them to realize that actually there's something missing in this life that they're currently living that only Jesus can fill. Praying that we would begin to be able to have those relationships and even some early what we might call God conversations that might pave that way to be able to invite them to something further down the line. And we also want you to be equipped. If I was, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if I would ask for people to put their hand up if they found talking about God and Jesus and inviting people to church events easy, I, I suspect there's not going to be many hands up. So if you're part of that 99.9% who find this stuff difficult, then we want to encourage you to come along and to be equipped be equipped over four Sunday evenings at a, in, in a format that most of you are very familiar with if you've been at Kirkpatrick for any length of time, and that's Faith Academy. Over four Sunday evenings, the last two in February, the first two in March, we're going to be running one-hour workshop, seminar, training events that we trust will help you grow in your understanding of what it means to share the good news to give you that confidence to invite people to the events that, that we're going to be running in, in the end of March, start, start of April. They're over four nights. They're going to be asking a number of questions. Why is it important that we actually invite people to make this life journey? How do we point people to Jesus in our workplaces in natural ways? How do we point people to Jesus in our families and, and in our communities? How do we invite others to share life? Those things that we often find difficult, we're wanting you to come along and be part of that and to be encouraged and equipped to do that that little bit better. The evenings will have a, a variety of, of inputs. There'll be videos, there'll be discussion groups, there'll be interviews, uh, including members of our congregation here who are good at this and who are doing this in, in, in even small ways already as an encouragement to each of us. If you're part of that 0.1% that finds this dead easy, I would encourage you also, please, to sign up. Come along and encourage the rest of us who don't find that easy. Don't find that easy. And share with us. 
We want you to sign up for it so that we can allocate the halls appropriately, either on church suite, there'll be a, a link there for you to be able to sign up, or if you don't have access to church suite, phone the church office and, and Jane will be able to put your name down. But for now, let me encourage you to begin to pray. Let me encourage you to sign up. And let me encourage you to grow in your passion for pointing others to Christ. Thanks. Thanks very much, Mark. And later on in the service, in our prayers for others, we'll be praying for those evenings in later February and March. Um, We're now going to sing Holy Spirit, Living Breath of God. It's a song that asks the Holy Spirit to help us live a life that brings glory to God. And so if we stand and sing that now. Before we start our Bible reading this morning, I wanted to remind you of what Graham said last Sunday. We aren't going to be going through John verse by verse. So it would be great if, as you're reading ahead for each Sunday, and it's included in the the weekly updates, um, you also include any reading of passages that we've maybe missed out and we haven't studied together. Last week, Paul was preaching about Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine. And in between that and today's passage, which is John 3, uh, we have missed out and skipped through the story of Jesus clearing the temple courts. So I just encourage you to make sure you're doing that each week. Now we've reached our reading for today, which is from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light 
for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of God. Thanks, Nicola. Good morning, everyone. Uh, It's uh, good to be uh, with you again and to be joining in worship uh, and for those at home as well. My name's Graham. Uh, I'm the minister here uh, and uh, for just under a month. Um, uh, but it's fantastic to be, able to, to be able to come and open God's Word again to us today. Uh, it is really important, as Nicholas said, to read those in-between passages because it does set the context for what we're going to think about this morning uh, as we turn to God's Word. Let's pray together as we do that, shall we? Father, just take these moments, take this time, uh, and use it. Use your word as it works in our lives. By your spirit, take it and use it and apply it to us. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder if you've noticed there seems to be uh, an awful lot more loaded language around these days. Certain words or phrases carry with them a baggage or a meaning that immediately either inspires us or antagonizes us. Phrases like, make America great again, or black lives matter, are loaded with baggage for us. They seem to be simple phrases, but they are loaded with baggage so that the simple phrase almost becomes meaningless. Of course, political groups have always loaded language up with their particular political worldview. So when uh, here in Northern Ireland we hear phrases like no surrender or ourselves alone, we attribute them to one side or the other of our political situation and we load them up with all the baggage that comes with that. The word evangelical has become loaded with unintentional meaning in recent years as well. And that's a word that I love. It's a word that sums up the essence of what I believe as a follower of Jesus. The evangel is simply the good news. The good news of Jesus' birth, death, resurrection, ascension, and return. So an evangelical is someone who, at the most basic, is someone who is committed to the good news to the gospel, the evangel of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of that gospel, that evangel, is another phrase which has become loaded over the years. It's the phrase that Jesus uses in verse 3 of the passage that Nicola read, and again in verse 7. You must be born again. Now, born again is perhaps one of the most loaded phrases in Christian thought. I wonder what springs into your mind when you see or hear those words, born again. They've been plastered on billboards and and gable walls uh, in Northern Ireland for generations, telegraph poles as you drive through the countryside. But what do those words conjure up for you in your mind? Perhaps you have the image of a person who has lived Uh, a terrible, rebellious, dissolute life, and then suddenly they've done a complete 180-degree U-turn, and they're going in the opposite direction. Someone who has one of those 
testimony that tells how they were involved in drugs or paramilitaries or prison or all three and how their life turned around. Charles Coulson uh, from America, his spiritual autobiography of how he came to faith is called Born Again. And it tells the story of how a self-confessed political hatchet man for President Nixon found Christ when he was in prison after being convicted of crimes to do with Watergate, and how he went on then to found Prison Fellowship, a ministry which is now international. A total U-turn, 180 degrees. But then the phrase born again has been used as well in the secular world to describe someone whose enthusiasm for a particular thing borders on the fanatical. You hear of born-again non-smokers, or born-again vegetarians, or born-again gym members, all extolling the virtues of their newfound lifestyles until you are completely fed up hearing about it. Maybe in that sense, in recent months, I've become a born-again dog owner. But unfortunately, in Christian circles, the phrase born-again at times has become something that's used to exclude people, to make them feel like they were in the the bottom half of some kind of two-tier Christianity. Well, you might call yourself a Christian, but are you a born-again Christian like me? So what did Jesus actually mean when he said, you must be born again? Can we take away some of this baggage that has accrued to this phrase, and can we actually see what Jesus meant? Well, we can begin by looking at the context in which he used the phrase. So he has been approached by Nicodemus, a person of some importance, some significance in the community. Nicodemus is a well-respected teacher, community leader, and academic He's a man of unquestioned moral probity, absolute integrity, and he is very keen to have a conversation with Jesus. Yes, his approach to Jesus at nighttime might suggest that he's a little too concerned about his own reputation, maybe doesn't want to see his peers in the ruling council knowing that he's had this conversation or seeing him hang around with this untrained, unschooled carpenter who's just turned the temple courts upside down after all. But he comes. And he comes with an honest and a respectful inquiry. He comes and he calls Jesus rabbi, teacher. That's quite an opening move for this highly educated man as he approaches a carpenter from a hick town in Galilee. He tells him that that we, maybe it's the royal we, but we have concluded that Jesus is a man sent from God. The signs he's been performing suggest at least that. What Nicodemus doesn't seem to know is what the signs are pointing to. He hasn't yet grasped the true significance of Jesus' ministry. Jesus' subsequent conversation with Nicodemus suggests that he has come, Jesus has come, to bring three 
new things. A new birth, a new focus, and a new experience. Jesus comes to bring, he says, a new birth. He is upfront with Nicodemus from the start. He has not come to bring a new teaching or a new interpretation of the Jewish law, the Torah. He has come to bring something much bigger, much more radical. Jesus has come to bring nothing less than a brand new beginning. He has not come, as Leslie Newbigin says, he has not come to bring illumination, but regeneration. He, when he talks about being born again, he then goes on to ignore Nicodemus's rather silly point about how it's impossible for an adult uh, human being to climb back into their mother's womb. But he goes on to say that this new birth that he's bringing is not a physical thing. It is birthed by water and the Spirit. And to understand what he's talking about there, we need to go back to the Old Testament, back to the prophet Ezekiel. God had made a promise through Ezekiel to the people of Judah who had rejected him, who had failed to walk in his ways, who had dishonored his name among all the other peoples of their day. God said this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, God promises through Ezekiel a total cleansing from sin and a total transformation of lifestyle. Jesus tells Nicodemus that the time for that promise to be fulfilled is now. It's here now. The new birth means a cleansing from sin that no amount of water in those ritual stone jars in Cana that we heard about last week, no amount of cleansing from those jars could achieve this. The new birth means, it does mean a 180 degree U-turn for the people of God because it will transform their worship from a dry duty that gets corrupted by temple money changers to an empowering enlivening experience that impacts their everyday lives and brings honor to God. And this new birth is not something you can earn or achieve. Not something you can earn any more than you earned or achieved your own natural arrival into this world. I'm going to let a a secret out of the bag now because it's going to get out eventually anyway in Kirkpatrick. Uh, And the secret is this. I was born on Christmas Day. Now, I'm going to tell you now, I did not choose to be born on Christmas Day. In fact, I probably would have chosen more or less any other day. I had nothing to do with the timing. It just happened that way. Mind you, I still think that my two elder brothers kind of blame me for mucking up opening their presents that year. You had nothing to do with the timing and circumstances of your birth either. Whether it was around Christmas or whether it was the middle of July, 
And that's how it is with the new birth Jesus talks about. It's not something we achieve. It's not something we earn. And it's therefore not something we have any right to be in any way superior about. The Spirit does His regenerative work in our hearts without any contribution from us whatsoever. It is entirely the gift of God's grace, and everyone needs it. The respected religious academic needs it, and the Samaritan woman with a deeply dubious private life who we'll encounter next week needs it too. Tim Keller puts it this way, this is an astonishing thing to say to a man like Nicodemus. Jesus is saying that the pimps and prostitutes outside on the street are in the same position spiritually as he is. There is Nicodemus, flush with his moral and spiritual accomplishments, and there is someone out on the street who is homeless and addicted, and as far as God is concerned, they are equally lost. They both have to start from scratch. They both have to be born again. They both need eternal spiritual life or something will eat them alive. And that life is going to have to be a free gift. This new birth cannot be controlled, earned, achieved, or even completely understood. But it can be seen. Its impact is as obvious as the impact of the, the winter winds that we're, we're feeling today or the winds that, that brought down trees last month or ripped the roof off the Aurora Leisure Center in Bangor. There is obvious, the impact is as obvious as that. But Nicodemus wants to understand. He wants to analyze, he wants to control this new birth. And so he asks, how can this happen? And Jesus' response sounds almost dismissive. How can you not understand? Nicodemus, you say you've seen the signs that I've done, but you haven't seen their significance. The signs are only useful if you know who they're pointing to or what they're pointing to. The signs, Nicodemus, point to me, Jesus said. I am the one you need to focus on from now on. The new focus of the new birth is Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes from heaven to open up for humanity the way to heaven. To make that clear, Jesus refers Nicodemus to another Old Testament story, the story of Numbers 21 of the plague of snakes that swept through the Israelite camp as they were making their way through the wilderness. And God commands Moses in that incident to, to make a bronze serpent, to lift it up on a pole and to tell all the Israelites to look to the bronze serpent and live. The bronze serpent was simply a sign pointing to a deeper reality. And that reality was Jesus. He will be lifted up to save. 
His crucifixion, resurrection, and exaltation will be the means by which God brings new birth. Jesus will be lifted up so that everyone and anyone who looks to him in faith can enter the kingdom of God. There's an important difference, though, between Jesus and the bronze snake. The snake in the book of Numbers was simply a a temporary solution to a particular problem. It was just the means that God provided by which healing and salvation from that one plague could come. Jesus is more than that. Jesus is both the means of our salvation and as God in human flesh, the author of our salvation. He is the fullest expression of God, and God expresses Himself by offering Himself in love, by going to the cross for our salvation. New birth comes through having the focus of our faith shifted from whatever else we trust in onto Jesus Christ. And with that new birth comes a new experience of eternal life. Now, people sometimes get a bit nervous when you start to talk about eternal life. And we start to get nervous about it because we can't quite get our heads around what eternity looks like. If you mention eternity to someone quite often all they'll think about is something that takes a really, really, really long time. It felt like an eternity, is the phrase. And if living for a really, really, really long time means life as it is in the world right now, it doesn't seem that appealing, does it? Who wants to live forever in a world of COVID and cancer and conflict? Who wants eternal life if it's just more of this stretched out forever? But that's not the life Jesus offers. As Paul said last week, and as Mark mentioned earlier, Jesus comes to offer us abundant life overflowing life, life to the full, life without fear of death. Quite literally from the passage, what Jesus is offering us is the life of the age to come, when there will be no more COVID or cancer or conflict. And He is offering that life to us starting right now, today. The offer of salvation is quite simply the offer of full, abundant, joyful life that starts today and lasts forever. And this life will require us to be exposed to the light of Christ. In that light, the depths of our sin and our shame will be revealed. It's not pleasant at times our selfishness, our unjustified anger, our lies, our idolatries, our self-righteousness, they'll all be brought to the surface by the light of Christ. But then that same light will be the light that helps us to see Jesus 
to see Jesus as the one who takes all our selfishness and anger and lies and idolatries and self-righteousness on himself and then bears the punishment that those things deserve. This light will take us from ordering our lives around our desires to reordering them around God and his glory. The life that Jesus offers is made available to us through the unfathomable, all-inclusive, radical love of God for the world. And this brings us, as we finish, to the most famous verse in this passage, probably the most famous verse in the whole of Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. It is entirely appropriate that this verse is so well known because it sums up the basic position of God towards those He has made. And that position is love. God wants us to know that He loves us. And He goes to extreme lengths to prove it. John Calvin says, since people are not easily convinced that God loves them, and to remove all doubt about this, Christ has specifically stated that we are so very dear to God that on our account He did not even spare His one and only Son. If your image of God is some kind of grumpy tyrant whose forgiveness has to be prized from him by his son. You've got it all wrong. The son is the very expression of God the Father's love for you. The mission of the son is entirely grounded in the love of the Father. Remember, Jesus is the Word made flesh. He is fully God at the same time as being fully human. God's love for you is demonstrated in that he did not just send another messenger. He came himself. He gave himself. He emptied himself. He experienced pain and suffering and isolation and death himself in your place, for you. Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about you. He came to express God's heart for you. And God's heart for you is love. Jesus is the fullest, clearest, deepest expression of the heart of God for humanity. The cross is the ultimate demonstration of his heart because it shows how far his love will go just to bring you home. If you're a disciple of Jesus today, and if because of your circumstances or your sin, you're sitting here today or at home and you're wondering, does God really still love me? Can God really still love me? 
then let me tell you to look to Jesus. To look to the cross. To see how far he went to bring you home. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you would not yet call yourself a follower of Jesus or a Christian, then let me ask you to consider afresh those familiar words. Consider afresh how much he loves you. Consider how far he went to show you that he loves you. And consider today what your response to that love should be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love expressed to us in Jesus. Help us to turn our eyes to him. To focus on him. To experience the new life, the new birth that he wants to bring into our lives. In his name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing together uh, a song which may be new to some, but I think uh, a lot of you will know. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. It's a new version of an old chorus, um, but it really focuses our thoughts on who we're thinking about today. It's now time um, for a few church family announcements. As always, the best way to stay up to date with church activities and news is to sign up to the weekly update. It has to be one of the best email lists you'll ever sign up to. There's no spam. One email every Friday, and that's about it. And if you saw how many unread emails I have in my inbox, you'd know it takes something for me to actually search an email out, and I do every Friday for this one. If you don't have access to email, please speak to um, one of the welcome team or from the church office, and we can get you a paper copy of the update. Just to highlight a few things from this week. Um, Firstly, the Friendship Club is on this coming Tuesday. That's the 8th of February, um, meeting in the Forbes Hall. And Catherine Little of the Bible Society will be coming to talk about their work. Um, The meeting starts at 3 p.m. If you've subscribed to receive the Presbyterian Herald magazine, your new February 2022 edition has arrived. Um, Jane has them labelled with your names on, and they're sitting out at the welcome desk as you come in. Going forward, whenever edition arrives, Jim will have them there, and you can collect them with the welcome team at the door when you're signing in to services. For anyone who's unfamiliar with the Herald magazine, it's an informative magazine. It's created by Church House, and it covers um, updates and interviews on things that God is doing across PCI in Ireland, and it comes out about every seven weeks or so. Subscription is £15 for the year, and that gets you 10 editions. They will arrive in church office, and then Jane distributes them. So if you're interested in becoming a new subscriber, please contact Jane in the office. Um, And Church House have kindly sent a few spare copies of this um, current edition. So if anyone wants to take one this month to check it out for the first time, um, please speak to her if you'd like a free copy. And finally today in the announcements, um, just a reminder to continue to speak to Graham, Paula and the boys on Sundays and remind them of your names. It's easy for us to remember four names, but pity them trying to remember folk from four different services across a fortnightly rota with social distancing and masks on. I don't know how they're learning anyone's names. So just continue. I know it seems um, a bit silly, maybe six weeks in, to continue to do this, but 
continue to always say, by the way, I'm Nicola, and this is my family and your connections, because that will just help them um, as they're getting to know people. Um, and if I now invite Jane Henry up, she's going to come up and share an announcement about Rooted. Good morning, everyone. So, I can't believe that it's February and we've had a crazy year or two. But lots of good things are happening here in church, and I just want to highlight one of them. Rooted Together is an event for the women in the church, and it's happening in a couple of weeks. Some of you might remember back in lockdown last year when an event was run online. Well, we're going to do it again, but this time in person. Let's have a wee look at a clip of last year. I was set this morning as sisters in Christ, and here we are with Jesus, the one who holds us. The one who has eternal life. We will never be and we never have been in control of our lives. Like I know my life is in God's hands and all I need to do is trust him. Realising that if I keep looking at myself and my circumstances, that's one of the days I find really hard. And actually it was the days where I started my day well and, you know, looked to God. And I think that just frames your whole day completely differently. I believe um, throughout this pandemic, God has been working and he's been speaking to us and we really want to have ears to hear him. Thanks, Noah. Um, so we're going to have a Rooted Together afternoon and it's on Saturday the 19th of February from 2pm to 4pm. It's going to be here in the Forbes Hall, which is the big one out the back. And if you come at 2 p.m., you'll get a free hot drink and a tray bake from our vendors. Then we're going to have a wee time together. We're going to um, be in person. Let me say that again. Um, we're going to have some interviews. We're going to have a wee Bible slot and lots of chat. Um, it's going to be relaxed and enjoyable. It's just really a wee escape for a couple of hours. And we'd ask you to sign up on Church Suite for this event and we'd love as many of you to come as possible. This is for all ages of women and we really want everyone to feel invited and welcome. So come with folk that you know or come to meet folk. We are really looking forward to it and it is in person. Can I also mention that we'll then be running a six-week Bible study. That's going to start on the 2nd of March and run to the 6th of April. It's going to be based on the book of Philippians, very similar to what the guys have been doing. Um, and it's going to be in the church hall as well. And it's going to be in person. So we'll provide more information for that in due course. But there'll be a separate sign-up on Church Suite. Or a bit like what Mark was saying earlier, you can talk to me or the more technical Jane in the office um, to register for either of these events. You don't have to attend both. They're not dependent on each other. And if the earlier dates don't suit, feel free to join in at any stage. Or if you can only come on the Saturday then please do. So, Saturday the 19th of February at 2pm for Rooted Together. Please put it in your diary and sign up and we'll see you there. And don't forget, it's in person. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. And isn't it lovely to start um, being able to see each other more um, in person? <laughs> 
We have come to the point in our service where we petition God with our prayers for others. And today we're going to particularly um, going to focus on our church and some of the events that we've been talking about this morning. Um, we're going to pray about COVID again, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and its ongoing effect in the local schools in particular and those who are sick at this time. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now with our prayers of petition for ourselves and for others. We pray first for our congregation and this new season that we find ourselves in after COVID, a year-long vacancy, and now the Kennedy family joining our church as Graham has become our new minister. We pray for our elders, our staff team, and for Graham, for spiritual protection and a unity as they work to serve you here in Kirkpatrick. We pray for the spiritual life of each of our church members. May you help us to be spiritually disciplined and supportive of the ministries here in the church. We pray for the work of the evangelism group and ask that the evening Faith Academy events that start later this month would be fruitful. And we pray that you'd be working in our hearts as we pray for folk we might invite along. We thank you for the men who are currently attending the men's Bible study. We pray that you would be working in their hearts as they immerse themselves in your word. We pray that the women's Bible study and the Rooted Together event would also be a blessing to the women who attend it. We now pray more widely for our country and the world as we continue to deal with COVID. We know that some of our local schools are really struggling with high levels of infection among pupils and also among staff, resulting in staffing issues. God, we pray that you would help schools as they manage this wave with in-person attendance rather than homeschooling. We pray for the restoration of health to those who are sick at present and for the learning and development of all our children and young people with all the disruption it is causing. Lord, we pray for those who are suffering mentally from lifelong mental health issues, the difficulties of COVID lockdowns, financial difficulties and pressures, or those who just find the winter months depressing and difficult to get through. Lord, we pray that these people would find the support they need medically, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We also pray for those we know with physical illness at this time. We pray that there would not be delays to the treatment they need and that you would be with those we love who are ill or enduring family illness. Will you give them strength to persevere through their trials? And Lord, help us to be the ones who intercede to you on their behalf when they struggle to find the words to pray. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Amen. We're going to close our service this morning by singing your name. It's a reminder that nothing has the power to save us but the name and the work of Jesus. Let's stand and sing. As we close our service this morning, let us use the closing words of Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.